welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. We've now reached March in our Look Back series, and while the Thunder only played four games during that month, there's still a ton to talk about, like how far the team had come since October and an incredible three-game East Coast road sweep that ended in a wild win at Boston. It was a memorable month, to say the least, and we've got a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. We have reached the last month in our Look Back series that has taken us throughout all of the twists and turns of the Thunder's 2019-20 season. Guys, it's time to talk about March. And while the Thunder only played four games before the NBA was postponed, what it lacked in quantity, I believe it made up for in quality. And Nick, I don't know about you, but when I think back to the season, this is the month that I find myself thinking about the most. Maybe it's because it's the most recent or maybe it's because I was on that East Coast road trip, but mainly I think it was because of the excitement and the new narrative that was surrounding this team at the time. It was the last taste of Thunder basketball that we got and it all was delicious. You know, three straight wins all on the road capped by an, uh, just unbelievable victory in Boston. And then there was all this anticipation, this build up to this chance for the Thunder to potentially, you know, take the lead for a home court advantage spot in the Western Conference playoffs with a home game against Utah, uh, who they'd fared well against earlier in the season. So, you know, all of this momentum was building. Uh, and then, of course, kind of the, the bottom got dropped out from us, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID-19. But, you know, the build up to that, that little stretch, that three-game road trip that you mentioned, it was not looking too, too great, to be completely honest. It wasn't at the moment, but let's not forget that the Thunder was coming out of a great month of February, went seven and three, then had a, a little blip at the end of the month at the very last day of the month against Milwaukee at Milwaukee, a really tough loss. And then right after that game, turned around and played the Clippers at home, the number two team in the West. So you have two back-to-back games there, really challenging, tough physical defenses. And the Thunder really learned, I feel like learned a lot out of those two games, especially against the Clippers. Let's not forget that that Milwaukee game was the second night of a back-to-back for the Thunder. They had had this incredible come-from-behind victory at home against the Kings the night before, and they just walked straight into a buzzsaw in Milwaukee. Really wasn't close in that game. Come back, reset, and then the Clippers, fully loaded with Kawhi and PG, come into OKC, and, and they take care of business. So I'm sure, you know, just trying to put myself in those guys' shoes, I'm sure it was hard to not look at those two losses and think, man, that that little stretch where we could have really made a statement, we didn't do it. Uh, but to these guys' credit, they flipped the script very quickly. They just moved on to that East Coast trip starting in Detroit, and they took care of business. Chris said, this is a really good experience for our guys. Even though we lost by double digits, we learned a lot of things. And this is the type of experience that we're going to face in the playoffs. So we have to learn how to keep our offense moving and keep that pace and tempo even against these really tough physical defenses and that's the type of lesson that they took into this next three game stretch on the east coast chris's point is well taken that you know a double digit loss to the clippers doesn't mean that the next two or three games are you know going to be throwaways as you mentioned paris and so they go into detroit and they have the best shooting night of the season an unbelievable shooting night absolutely and just to continue that motif 
Shea had his best shooting night of the season, or his career best shooting night, shooting 80% from the field, 12 of 15, just a lot of really good things happening for this team in Detroit and a great bounce back. And Nick, you mentioned this in our podcast after this East Coast road trip, was that this could have easily been a trap game for this Thunder team. It was the second night of a road home back-to-back, very similar to the game in Milwaukee. You You start going up against this really tough Clippers team, double-digit loss, and going into a team against Detroit where losing record had a lot of movement during that trade deadline and still figuring out their lineup could have easily been a trap game where they thought they were going to go in and just take the win. Yeah, especially going east where you lose an hour going to the east coast. That's not an easy flight, at least like a two-hour flight. So uh, a lot of credit to the Thunder for having the offensive firepower that night. Usually that's you know, one of the things that goes is your legs and not being able to knock down jumpers. Danilo hit three threes, SGA hit two, Dennis hit a couple, and and the Thunder shot 61% from the field in that game. They weren't able to completely slow down Christian Wood, who went for 29 points on 12 of 16. But besides that, uh, everything was, was pretty gangbusters for the Thunder offensively. Definitely. And they got contributions from everybody. I'm talking about Nerlens and Abdul also had a pretty good game there as well. Not just on the offensive side, but defensively really helping chip in. And that flowed over straight into Madison Square Garden, New York City, Big Apple. It was a big game and the Thunder had another really, really important win there. Uh, Just a great statement performance again that you can continue this stretch on the road. Uh, This game was not particularly close. The Thunder won every quarter and took care of business. And they were able to get guys like Hamadou Diallo, some extended minutes, you know, hometown kid from Queens. And, and he showed out with some ferocious dunks up there. Ferocious, Paris. absolutely monstrous. And what better way to do that than in front of your home crowd. But another thing that was really important during this game was that the Thunder was playing at a really high level. And I think this was the type of basketball that they have been looking to play for the entire season, a season low four turnovers an absolutely incredible incredible performance offensively ball movement was just fantastic uh zipping the ball around doing a a really great job of just playing with the pass sharing it and you know everybody got into the mix uh guys shot the ball well and and chris paul was kind of the the maestro and the catalyst paris this was your first time to madison square garden though right so you know tell us what that experience was like for you Well, I learned a lot, and the biggest thing was that that ramp coming into the arena was just unlike anything else. There's just this giant, I don't know how many stories it is, Nick, but you just go up for what feels like 10 minutes before you get to the actual arena floor, but that was actually pretty cool to see that and know that all the players do that. There are no exceptions. Yeah, just for those who haven't seen it, you know, the buses, they pull in uh, to the loading dock at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Everything is so on top of each other that the real estate, uh, it's, it's hard to come by. And so in order to actually get up to the floor level and where the locker rooms are, you're going up at least three or four uh, flights effectively, except it's on this big ramp so that they can pull you know, equipment and stuff up the ramp and it's not stairs and all that. So uh, it, it just makes you feel like when you're walking into that building that you're walking the same path that Larry Bird and Michael Jordan and all the greats, you know, you're walking with history there when you're, when you're going into the locker room at Madison Square Garden. So it's a rite of passage of, of sorts. You know, once you make it through there and you're, the sweat is dripping from your brow, you're like, I've made it. This is yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You got to kind of 
get your suit back in order after you know, yeah. lugging your bag up the up the steps there. Uh, that was cool for me too. That that was the last NBA arena that I had not done uh, sideline for, um, and so that was my first time doing um, uh, you know sideline reporting duties at Madison Square Garden. So that was a really cool experience for me, just you know being down on floor level there, and um, great to to strike that off the list. Well, Nick, let's talk about this for a second because every NBA arena is kind of different for sideline reporters. Sometimes, Nick, you're right there on the sideline, kind of like we are in Chesapeake Energy Arena. And then other times you're kind of back in the back corner of a tunnel, kind of watching from a monitor. What was Madison Square Garden like? Well, as we mentioned, you know, space is tight there and they got to get those courtside seats as much as they possibly can. So uh, at MSG, I'm kind of on a stool in the corner next to the the visiting team's bench and Rebecca Harlow the the Knicks sideline reporter is actually sitting there right next to me we are (laughs) we have two stools that are right next to each other and then another two stools that are in front of us facing in towards us which is where we can put our laptop and our notes and coffee so it's not a table no 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 no, yeah no so it's uh it's definitely a different experience but you know every single road arena is different and you really get to just you know, you get close with the person that's next to you. you. You get to talking to whoever the the other reporter is. Sometimes you're almost in the stands, and so you're talking to some of the fans that are there. And I always have Thunder fans who are in from out of town come and you know find me if they can uh, sit in courtside because you never know where I might be. Sometimes I'm up in the in the 100 level. Sometimes I'm down on the floor. So it's always fun to to kind of get a different vantage point of the game and and you get a sense of things differently too. Sometimes you can hear all the action that's on the floor. Sometimes you get to see plays develop in a different way. So it's really different each time. And you get to get pretty close with other sideline reporters like Rebecca right there next to you in Madison square garden. Yeah. And you know, those relationships are great because there are sometimes stories that you don't even know about from another team, or you might be able to share something with somebody else who's really looking for a note, you know, when the Thunder is just completely dominating and it's a complete blowout victory, the, the, the reporter from the other team is going to want some sort of good info about <laughs> OKC, you know? So, um, and, and actually, you know, the, the NBA world is, is so small. There are times where you cross paths with people that you never would have thought that you would have crossed paths with again. Um, Kareth Burke, the Warriors sideline reporter was working in, in New York um, when I was with the Jets and I was an intern and she was a reporter and, um, you know, I just remembered how nice she had treated me when, when she was in New York. And so it was really great to be able to just, you know, go reintroduce myself and say, you know, thank you for you know, being so polite and nice to, to a young intern who didn't know which way was up. It was a small basketball media world, isn't it? Or I guess sport media world. Jets yeah. basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So from there, the, the, it didn't stop for the Thunder. Things kept rolling right into Boston. Not a, not a far trip between TD Garden and Madison Square Garden, but another really big win. And this one, I, I, I will say this a million times, but there are no bad wins, but this Boston win was a phenomenal win, if I can just rank wins in that way. Because the Thunder was down 18 at one point in this game. They were playing without Shea for the first time that season and had every reason in the world to let go of the rope. I mean, it was against Boston at that point. They were top five in the Eastern Conference. And every time this Thunder team plays Boston, it's really close, especially during this 2019-20 season. And the Thunder did not let go of the rope. 
at yeah, all. Yeah, one point loss in OKC earlier in the year, and the Thunder repaid the favor up in TD Garden, and they came storming back, um, had just one of the all-time greatest Thunder sequences where you know, Dennis and Chris Paul uh, trap in the backcourt, steal the ball from Kemba Walker, and Dennis flies in for a layup and puts the Thunder ahead. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, it's all the pressure is on Boston to try to make a play. Chris Paul, six foot nothing, defending six foot eight Jason Tatum, uh, and doesn't let him get an inch, doesn't let him back him down on the block, and forces a miss at the bot at the buzzer. And stands there and says, "This is my turf right here." And that was just—it was awesome. I feel like Nick. Let me know if you feel the same way. But if there's a thesis statement for the season for this Thunder team, I, I would refer them to this Boston win. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. I think you know the season was exhilarating. The season had massive de- deficits. The season had plenty of times where the Thunder was in positions where you just thought there's 0% chance that this team can come back at this point. You know, that, that ESPN win probability calculator was like on the fritz in a lot mm-hmm. of these games because, yep. you know, you think about all the comebacks, the, the Chicago game, the Memphis game, uh, Sacramento game just right before this road trip, you know, and uh, this kind of topped them all in my opinion. And, and maybe it's because it's the last game that we got to see the Thunder play, but man, it was the most exhilarating, I think. And I think it said a lot about this team and what they were capable of doing in these last 18 games that they were set to play. I mean, they were playing at such a high level and you see a performance like this from, you know, Chris Paul checking Jason Tatum chest to chest, not letting him get an inch. And then you see Dennis and Chris, not that the team doesn't call a timeout. They go for the steal, get the steal. And you see like in the huddle, no, I want to guard Jason Tatum. No, I want to guard Jason Tatum. Let me have him. That sort of mentality and intensity, it just seemed like it was it clicked, especially against this Boston team. And like you mentioned, the, this Thunder team is no stranger to being down, overcoming deficits, leads the league in clutch time scoring, has the number one player in clutch time scoring in Chris Paul. There's several instances where something like this has occurred for the Thunder, but for it to happen in Boston against a really tough Boston opponent, I think it said a lot. Yeah. And, you know, they showed the savvy too. And once again, the reason that they've gotten out of those situations is because they have the intelligence and the camaraderie to actually do it. You know, Chris and Dennis are coordinating that steal on Walker. It's not an accident that Chris pins him to the sideline and then Dennis ambushes him. Um, You know, some of that is instinctual in terms of the exact angle to take, but a lot of that is pre-planned and pre-coordinated and it it requires the trust that these two guys have formed over the course of the year. You know, two guys that maybe would have been unlikely uh, BFFs. Uh, They've (laughs) they've turned into incredible friends um, on on the course of this season. And and you saw it all come to fruition in one play. And and after the game, those guys are like, you know, bad boys for life, ride or die kind of, kind of brothers. We ride together, we die together. And and Chris and, and Dennis were both saying, you know, I'll take that guy in my corner any day. Um, And you just saw it execute on the floor too. Those are two guys where, you know, if they're on opposite teams, they're going to hate each other. But if they're on the same team, they're going to be best friends matched intensity and, you know, awesome, just guys off the floor as well. So that, that is really cool to see how that worked in that final sequence as well. But one other thing I wanted to point out about this Boston win was that 
it took every player, maybe not just in scoring, but defensively. The Thunder really dug in their heels defensively in third quarter. And a big part of that was getting chasing these Boston shooters off the line, rearview contests. And because of that, Abdul Nader had a season high for career high four blocks, which made a huge difference in this game defensively. He's been underrated as kind of a fill-in power forward while Darius Baisley was out. He does not really have the size. He's only about 6'6", but he did a really nice job of just being physical. He's got a little bit maybe of a wider frame than Darius does, and so um, he, he stepped in there. He did a good job. He really has worked on those trail um, contesting plays, and, and we saw that against Boston. I got to ask you, Paris, Paris, though, you know, having, you know, a, a, you know, doing a lot of writing in my career, how many different article versions did you have that night in Boston? <laughs> I'm pretty sure sitting up there, because I was sitting above the tunnel watching the game, um, just kind of like maybe in like a 100 section. And I remember looking down at my, my laptop and thinking, okay, well, if we lose and it's close, I'm going to go with this headline. If we lose and it's not very close, I'll go with this one. But if we win by one, it's definitely this one. So I probably had about three different versions within maybe the last five minutes when things were kind of on the fritz. But you, you were in the tunnel waiting to see if we were going to win or lose to get a walk-off interview. What were you thinking? Yeah, you know, those situations are always the best because you're just on pins and needles and you're you're wondering, is there a chance that this could go the right way? You know, I went over there before the steal happened. And at that point, it was going to really take quite a bit. You know, they were going to have to miss some free throws. They were going to, Thunder was going to have to hit a, a big time shot. And then when the steal happens, it's like, whoa, this whole interview just completely flipped on its head. And then when Chris, you know, gets the, gets the final stop there, um, really the story changes there too, because it becomes about one more defensive stop that happens as well. So that was really just uh, uh, an incredible thing to be a part of and be on the floor for. And, and it's Paris, it's one of my favorite feelings is when after a game, you and I are kind of, you know, scrambling to find each other and we decide, okay, this game requires two, two articles <laughs> yep. tonight. We're doing a second story tonight. So that's always fun. Be sure to go check both of them out. They're still on okcthunder.com. Go check them out. Here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for the Thunder at this point in the season was how just how far they had come since October. You have to remember they started the season, and we talked about this in an October look back. They started the season 6-11 and 11 before Thanksgiving. And I don't know what they had for their Thanksgiving dinner, but since then they were 34-13 and 13 and absolutely tremendous turnaround flip of the narrative we saw this team come together so much and people contributing all the way down the roster and it turned into what was possibly a fourth spot in this playoff standings Paris I think it was the pies that we had waiting for us oh. coming on that plane ride back from Portland at four thirty-five in the morning whenever we landed in OKC on Thanksgiving morning I think that did the trick uh, but yeah you're right I mean the Thunder was had one of the very best records in the entire NBA after Thanksgiving. And as you mentioned, that battle with Utah that we almost got to see was, you know, going to make a big impact on what the playoff picture would end up being. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the season got cut short and, you know, as we recap the month of March, we were starting to get more and more information trickling in as we're traveling on this East coast road trip 
that we need to start being careful. We need to, you know, be very aware of how close we are, try to stay, you know, six feet apart. I know heading into that Utah game, we had some very uh, strict guidelines in terms of how we would be able to interview players. I remember, you know, interviewing Abdul Nader pregame against Utah about six, seven feet apart um, and how little we knew back then. Right. And I remember getting home from that New York trip and wiping down my suitcase, putting my big, you know, jacket in the washing machine, just because we were starting to get those inklings of what potentially was going to turn into a big mess. Obviously, the Thunder only played four games in the month of March because the NBA was put on pause on March 11th. But if you want to hear about that story, Nick and I dedicated a whole podcast to that, and it's called The Day the Dribbling Stopped. Be sure to go check that out. We also had an interview with Danilo Gallinari to hear from his perspective, his veteran perspective, also being an international player, what that's like from him. And so we had a podcast with him as well. Be sure to go check that out. It is now time for Made You Look. And throughout this whole East Coast road trip, we had some really fantastic food experiences. And one of the best was in media dining in Detroit. We hear a lot of grumblings about some of the best media dining in the league while we travel. And one of the things that I heard a lot about was in Detroit. And it absolutely did not disappoint my plate was about five pounds. <laughs> it was just full of tan food. <laughs> That's it. No color. Yeah, this is very inside baseball for NBA reporters. So please forgive us while we indulge ourselves about how we indulge ourselves on the road. Um, you know, the the pizza, the f- chicken fingers, the French fries, uh, hot wings. It was really all there for the taking in Detroit, and it's earned its reputation as being like you know, a teenage kid's dream meal, all tan food, nothing good for you. Most things are fried. Yeah. And it did have some good dessert too, like soft serve ice cream. I mean, yeah, definitely gained a few pounds just starting in Detroit, but it didn't stop there because going from there to Boston, Nick, you went to a pretty iconic spot there too. Oh yeah. I always frequent the North end when I'm in Boston, uh, you know, up in the, in the kind of a, formerly or in still present day kind of Italian district. Um, Neptune oyster has the best lobster rolls uh, in Boston. So if you want to get some lobster and, you know, do your traditional new England thing, you got to go there. And then Mike's pastry, you know, you, you got to get a nice canole when you're up okay. there too. And, and so I had to grab one of them as well. And we, we can't leave out New York city, which is one of the best food cities in the entire country. That's true. That's that's where I got my cannoli. I went to Carlos Bakery and got the cannoli from there. That was pretty good. That was a good experience growing up watching Cake Boss. There you go. And you also had a, a bagel incident from what I recall. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> New York was just sensory overload. And so I went to this bagel shop called the Best Bagel and Coffee right across the street. Naturally, you got to go try it out. But little did I know it would take every ounce of my brain power to order a bagel and coffee. <laughs> you know, you went to the bagel spot that said best New York bagel and coffee. I'm surprised you didn't bolt in there like Elf. Congratulations. But- <laughs> <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
We've come to that point in the podcast where we want to bless your timeline. And it has been super heartwarming since basketball stopped on March 11th to see just how much the fans have been getting in on the action and coming up with some really awesome content. One of the things that really sticks out to me is some of these fan trick shots that we've seen show up on social media, along with a lot of fan art as well. I've seen some really cool Danilo Gallinari paintings and Steven Adams drawings. It's just been really cool to see how the fans are helping to get some content going as well during this time while there's no basketball. It's just great to see the engagement. You know, I think the Thunder players, all of us, we're trying to stay connected. We're trying to maintain those bonds and relationships that have been built throughout the course of the season. And what that requires is just some energy and and the effort. And it's really great to kind of get that jolt and that boost from the fans as well who are contributing and they're trying to maintain that connection with the players and the team too. So um, it's, it's been really heartwarming to see that people love their thunder and they love, you know, being able to, to stay connected to it any way they can. And a lot of times that's creativity, both maybe artistically and with the, with the rock in their hands too. It, it goes to show that, you know, that's what thunder basketball is all about, right? I mean, we have one of the best fan bases in the country and even though there's no actual basketball on the floor, thunder basketball is still alive and well and thriving with these trick shots happening at home, Steven Adam jerseys, Chris Paul jerseys getting showcased on social media. It's just really heartwarming to see. Bless all of our timelines. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later. We also have a baby Cohen podcast about teething. It's the day that the dribbling started. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) we need to have Cohen on the pod. Yeah.